from the former convent of the Good Shepherd overlooking Inwood Hill Park in New York City, welcome to Inwood Artworks On Air. It's where you meet musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes who make their home in what we affectionately call Upstate Manhattan. I'm your host, Aaron Sims, and today we welcome dancer and composer Max Pollock. Max is pictured on the U.S. postage stamp honoring tap dance and has recently been awarded a New York State Artist Grant for his musical compositions and choreography. Seamlessly combining body percussion, tap dance, and singing, he has performed worldwide with top artists in Latin jazz, jazz, classical music. He spent his formative years learning from and working from his mentors, Carnell Lyons, Heather Cornell, Buster Brown, Jimmy Slide, Ciro Baptista, and Los Muñequitos de Matanzas. He is also recognized for playing in prestigious international classical music venues and festivals, and for his pioneering work with the visually and hearing impaired and people with cognitive disorders. As an award-winning choreographer and composer, he is a co-creator of the off-Broadway hit show Carmen to Havana and Back, and a sought-after educator, writer, and recording artist. In addition, in 2015, he released his first CD entitled Roomba Tap. We are excited to have him here, and we're going to talk to him about his art and so much more. But first, enjoy a clip of the work of Max Pollock. Thank you very much, Max. Great to have you here. It was awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. You bet. Um, so how are you? What's been going on in your life lately? Good, good, good. Thank you. A uh, couple of interesting things uh, are kind of new. Um, I've started working with um, the uh, dance for people with Parkinson's uh, in uh, the Mark Morris Dance Center. Okay. And uh, my friend Valeria Solomonov. Uh, who I've worked with uh, over many years, uh, she ha- got a grant to create some choreography for dancers with Parkinson's disease. And um, that's a first for me. I've never done that before. And it's a really interesting um, challenge to work with people who have neurological issues, some of whom cannot really necessarily stand up well or not for a long time, which are then um, factors that we have to incorporate or want to incorporate in the choreography to make everybody comfortable. Yeah. Uh, because everybody still enjoys dancing and and uh, gets a lot of benefits, actually, out of regular dance. Uh, and they also get energy and positive... Um, um, feedback and 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 energy um out of creating and performing with each other you know i can only imagine um the challenges as you as a choreographer but also as the person who is trying to retain the choreography um must be uh incredibly gratifying 
um, f- for them to, and you, I would think, to achieve um, the level of saying, being, well, just to execute the choreography, right? Just to be able to do it. Yeah. Um, one of the focus points of this project is to uh, not overemphasize the necessity to memorize necessarily, because obviously that's something that people in this situation uh, have a hard time with, but rather uh, to also use uh, factors like improvisation and spontaneous creation, um, which can be just as satisfying and you just need to put it in the right context Mm -hmm. and provide some sort of structure that is easy to remember. but of course, I mean, it, it still means work. You still yeah. have to practice. Yeah. You know? But uh, they really enjoy it, and we work, we, we work on making it fun and making it enjoyable throughout the whole process. Well, that's incredibly satisfying, and uh, congratulations on that new venture. And um, I want to jump to something I was going to talk about later in the interview, but I think right now is a good time to bring it up, too. Because in addition to touring and performing, you work with the visually and hearing impaired as well. Yes. And mm-hmm. people with cognitive disorders. So mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about your work in that community. Yeah. Um, actually, the first time I did that, I was still a teenager uh, back in Austria, where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And uh, I will never forget the first time I performed for a room full of visually impaired children uh, and their uh, families. Yeah. Uh, I never felt that amount of attention and positive feedback from anybody before you know uh you have to imagine when you're especially when you're tap dancing you know i was tap dancing singing and playing percussion Mm -hmm. um for this crowd who would not be able to visually uh pick up what i'm doing but they embraced me so much with their ears yeah. You know, and with their with their focus and with their attention, uh, I I moved around the room with my tap shoes, to you know, to make it a interesting experience for them, and uh, I also I handed out tap shoes into the crowd so they could feel what what the bottom of the shoes feel like, and I gave them my drumsticks so they and and the brushes so they could feel what that's like, right. and then in the performances I would move around you know, throughout the room. And then on the stage, I would have different surfaces. So it would sound like wood, sound like metal, sound like stone or concrete. So they could appreciate the differences, uh, the different textures that you can create uh, as a tap dancer and as a a percussionist, you know. So uh, that really stuck with me. And uh, because of that positive experience very early on, I was, I think, 18 or 19 years old, um, I sought out these kinds of situations throughout my career. And uh, I've done that in, in, in different countries. In, uh, I did a great fun workshop in Cuba with um, deaf mute uh, actors who actually have a um, professional mime uh, company that tours throughout the island of Cuba. And uh, it was about, I wanna say like 20 people, adults, um, who I gave a three-week workshop for in, in tap dance and body percussion. And some of the best students I've ever had, is all I can say, you know. Although you think, like, how can they learn something that's music or that you, you know, sort of perceive through your ears? 
No, you don't. You see it also, and you can see rhythm, and then you can feel you rhythm. Feel it, yeah. And and if there was an issue with uh, picking up a rhythmic phrase, I could go up to them and I could touch their shoulder and signal the rhythm that way, you know. And um, it was really a, also a great experience. And then when they got to perform, uh, they got to perform on a stage that had a very resonant wooden platform uh, um, and throughout the workshops um, we were mostly on hard very hard floors because in Cuba wooden floors are not super common because of the climate mm -hmm. yeah um, but then when they finally got up on the stage where they were performing they had not really felt the resonance yet so when they got up on you, you should have seen the faces it changed them right <gasps> Wow! Oh man, they they could really feel the impact and the sonority of what they were doing. You know, uh, another just those are moments that I will never forget. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm I feel like I'm right there with you. I love yeah. it. That's it's, it's so gratifying to connect with those people and Absolutely. and going off and, and and teaching them and to give them that experience for them to go off and perhaps start their own companies or, or perform on their own and, yeah. and and keep pursuing things and having those experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it's 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 really why I do what I do. You know, those are the moments that are that I live for. Yeah. It has nothing to do with uh, yeah. whatever material gain or anything like yeah. that. It's like getting that energy from people who uh, would have otherwise maybe never experienced yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. What led you to Dance and Tap? Um, I saw Fred Astaire on television when I was five years old, back in Vienna, Austria, on my parents' black and white TV. And uh, I just saw this person gliding across the screen, making the most amazing music with his feet, being elegant and singing and with great jazz music, and boom, that was it. I wanted to learn how to do that. I pointed at the screen and I said to my parents, like, how do you learn how to do that? I want to do that. And... Um, that wasn't an easy task in mid-70s Vienna because it's not necessarily a center for tap dance and things of jazz nature. Um, there was mostly classical education, classical music and classical ballet, right. but tap dance was very, very difficult to find. So the first years, I basically was self-taught. You know, I started just basically jumping up and down our living room, watching those movies as often as they came on. And, and I just tried to remember what they were doing because we also, you know, we didn't have VCRs back then. So I just, I would check the listings, the TV listings. And when a musical came on, I was like, watch everything and try to remember and, and try to imitate. And then I would be the, you know, the uh, entertainer at family gatherings, <laughs> grab my dad's hat and it's cane. And, it's right. There you go. So... Um, that was the beginning and, uh, just making it up cause I had, I didn't know any better. And your you parents know? encouraged you? Absolutely. That's great. Yes. From, from day one. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And then, um, uh, then I had the, the, the great fortune of, uh, meeting my first mentor, Carnell Lyons, who was a great, great, great tap dance legend from Kansas city original, originally. Um, and he was one of the golden age tap dancers who just happened to move to Berlin, Germany in the 1960s because he felt like he was being treated better in Europe than he was in the United States. Okay. 
And um, he, he basically never came back to the U.S. after moving to Europe and um, had a great career, uh, kept performing and, and started teaching in Berlin. And that was very, very important for the tap dance scene, internationally speaking, because before Carnell, nobody had ever taught Ameri African-American rhythm tap in Europe. So Carnell was the first uh, um, educator uh, who developed a way of teaching, a methodology of teaching rhythm tap dance in Europe. And I was fortunate to meet him when I was 14, and he was already in his 70s. And uh, he picked me out of the crowd because I was... Uh, the only person who really under, kind of understood what he was saying because he had very strong American accent. Uh, and I was already interested in jazz music and I had been listening to uh, jazz uh, re recordings and uh, had watched some movies about jazz and, and uh, read books about jazz history. So to me, the American accent was easier to understand. So I kind of became his translator because the other people were just sort of like regular Austrians who didn't speak much English. Mm -hmm. I became his translator and I became his assistant because I was also the only person who could pick up the, co the very complex rhythms he was putting down. Uh, so he basically, he sat down and he said, what's your name, Max? Okay, uh, I'm going to sit down because my knees hurt and uh, I'm going to show you the steps from here, from the chair. You're going to get up on that board and you're going to do what I'm doing, just slow it down for the people. So I became his assistant. He was... Uh, became uh, his legs. Kind of, yes, exactly, yeah. And, uh, and after the first lesson of doing that, you know, I was, of course, incredibly excited and, and nervous and exhausted after the lesson because it was like a two-hour or whatever lesson. So I was, you know, sweat-drenched and red in the face and parched. And he held up his two-liter water bottle. He was like, here. And I went, oh, thank you. And I took a sip. <laughs> It was pure vodka. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that was my introduction to Carnell Lyons. And from then on, we were thick as thieves. He laughed hard. And then I started laughing. Yeah, so. It tells you the kind of guy you're, you're working with. Absolutely, <laughs> yes, yes. Welcome to show business, yeah, brother. Say, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to ask you how it shaped your style, but I think we know now. <laughs> <laughs> that was at least part of it, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, but So a huge American influence. And Absolutely. A huge, huge jazz influence. Oh, and, yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that... Uh, and so 70, man, he must have been working in the 30s and 40s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah he was yeah. born in, 20, in 1917. Yeah. And um, he uh, had a trio uh, when he was already only 18. Right. Uh, he started touring, and um, um, his trio eventually was called the Three Businessmen of Rhythm. Okay. And they were very well-dressed in very, very nice, very sharp suits. And uh, they were famous for spinning waiter trays on one finger while ferociously tap dancing. Wow. Uh, and doing all kinds of acrobatics, throwing the trays up in the air, catching them, doing splits, flips, all kinds of knee falls, which are horribly damaging to, your, to everything. It's like the tapping version of the Nicholas Brothers. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They did this, that same kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. He, was, he was really, uh, he was an amazing artist and one of the most successful of the era of that genre uh and then he moved to europe you know and gotcha. that was my fortune you know and and a couple other people who are still friends with, of mine yeah so you, that's 
Definitely. So that, 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 that opened the gates for you in many ways and opportunities. Absolutely, yeah. Because also Carnell was living jazz history. Yeah. He grew up in Kansas City uh, in the same neighborhood on the same block as Charlie Parker, the saxophone player. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So he was childhood friends. He went to high school with Charlie Bird Parker, you know. And they used to, they used to uh, um, play on the street together. They used to busk downtown Kansas City to make some pocket change, you know. Charlie Parker on the clarinet and Carnell Lyons tap dancing. Can you so, imagine seeing that on the sidewalk? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So those were the stories he would tell me when we were hanging out, you know, so I got a, a first hand uh, view into the history of jazz, wow. you know, and, uh, you know, and he told me how he would get around, you know, as a, as a teenager, he had no money and he wanted to go to Chicago. So what did he do? He and his buddies, they hoboed. He said, yeah, we hoboed to Chicago. You know what that means? We got on a train without paying, <laughs> you know? And back in the 30s, that was very dangerous, yeah. you know? So, and, he, you know, Still all, these, all yeah. this kind of information also about the racial tensions and all that. Right. You know, he told me about these things. So, you know, I, I'm incredibly thankful, yeah. grateful for having this invaluable information from a person that was close to me yeah. who told me these things, you know, yeah. firsthand <clears throat> and gave me, gave me a, a more realistic um, view of the history of jazz and the history of tap dance also in the social context, you know, within a very, very, very different um, framework, right. you know, if I had not met him, <clears throat> I wouldn't have appreciated the music as much as I did after that. Yeah. And, how, and then from, from then, once you get that foundation, when did you start composing your own? I started playing drum set <clears throat> uh, right around the same time I started tap dancing, a couple of years after. Um, I started playing drum set about 14, at 14. And um, I got into playing jazz almost immediately through a, a high, high school friend who saw me practicing in the, in the music room. Yeah. And he came up to me and said, hey, uh, do you play jazz? And at that point, I didn't really think about jazz. Like, what is jazz? I don't even know, you know. Uh, so he kind of introduced me to jazz by making me listen to some Louis Armstrong records, you know. And he put on a record. He, he played a track and he asked me, so what do you think? I said, I'm, I'm not sure. <clears throat> it sounds old, you know. <laughs> Because uh, I, I, you know, I, I had never really paid attention to that music. Yeah. And then he said, okay. He put the same track on again. He said, just, you know, be patient. Just listen to the same thing one more time. And then he proceeded to play the same track like four or five times. And I just didn't say anything. After the fifth time, I didn't want to listen to anything but jazz. Because I had started understanding that there's so much happening in this one track that I didn't hear upon the first time listening. So if that's the case in this music, that's for me, you know, because every time I listened, I could hear deeper and I, would under I could understand more of what was going on. Uh, it was so fascinating. And from then on, I was like the jazz nerd. You know? <laughs> well, it's, it's really <clears throat> wonderful seeing, thank you for sharing those stories because I always think it's great to hear how people learn because it's very transformative to people who are trying to learn. Right. Uh, and and, I, and thank you for sharing those stories. And um, I, I think I have to fast forward a little bit though because yeah. else we'd be talking for hours about <laughs> all, your, all, your, all your mentorship, which I, I'm so dying to hear more about. Um, but uh, I think we have to um, 
segue slightly though to um, actually a good segue. I think is like you're com- you're composing it. So how how did, so put that together like new forms jazz. But obviously you've done so much. You've done world music. You've done so many different things in different countries. Um, I think we should touch on the Roomba Tap album sure. in mm-hmm. 2015. How that came together. Okay. Yeah. Um, I um, got into. Caribbean and uh, Latin American uh, and Afro-Cuban music through studying at the New School. Mm -hmm. I went to uh, the jazz program at the New School as a drummer. And um, upon uh, studying, I was mostly studying uh, mainstream jazz, straight-ahead jazz. But there were some courses uh, that were dealing with Afro-Cuban music. And at that point, I didn't even know what that was. Uh, but some of my colleagues, who are now multiple Grammy-winning stars, um, they were uh, they, aware that I was also a tap dancer or a dancer besides being a musician. And they said, hey, you should check that out because this music is, has a lot to offer. And we think that you dig that. So um, that's why I started uh, learning this uh, uh, sort of cultural realm uh, and, and, and entering the cultural realm. And it just was so fascinating. And it was, it was different from jazz, but it was also related, clearly, you know. Uh, and I just started learning more about the African roots and the African diaspora and how um, everything influenced everything, you know, how everything is related. And uh, I just instantly f- thought, oh, this music and this kind of dancing and these rhythms lend themselves to tap dance. I should... Um, investigate and then basically I started practicing and before you know it I had started drumming with my hands on my body because I felt like there needed to be multiple layers of rhythm because that's what I felt was is is the essence of of the African tradition is everybody plays a simple rhythm but when you layer them on top it becomes this symphony of kind of rhythmic melodies that interlace and that's what makes it so interesting so as one musician how can i uh how can i fold in as many of these elements simultaneously as i can so i so i sound like a whole ensemble that was my concept for rumba tap and uh so I would play, you know, some percussion parts with my hands and some percussion parts with my feet and then some percussion parts with my voice. And eventually, besides just percussion parts, I would also then start singing songs, the, the traditional folkloric songs or a salsa song or, uh, or jazz, too. It works, it works in any style, really, as long as you know how to apply it. It's just, it's a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot of practicing. Yeah. Well... For those who can go find it, it's on YouTube, I believe. Yes. Uh, amongst yeah. other places. So okay. check out Max uh, at Roomba Tap. You can check it out there. Um, well, before we say goodbye, I also want to make sure we touch on um, your the story. I think everyone would has to just at least know why. Like, how did you get your tapping shoes on the U.S. stamp honoring the community? What, what a big honor, right? Yes, that's an amazing uh, honor and amazing appreciation for the art forum and all the artists that have come before us, uh, first and foremost. So to have, uh, to have the art forum recognized in that way is the most important thing and is really tremendous. Um, the idea uh, came from one of the designers who works for the U.S. Uh, Postal Office, who happens to be a tap enthusiast. 
and started floating the idea uh, in tap class, essentially. And, um, and then they started talking about it and uh, they found the right kind of photographer who happens to be also somebody I've known for many, many years. Uh, Matthew Murphy, he is now the top theatrical photographer in New York City. He photographs all the Broadway shows and everything that's like really, really happening. Matthew, you know, pulls the trigger on that. So um, he was the choice uh, for the photos. And uh, together they decided who to call. So they called in a bunch of top uh, tap talent. And um, in a very, very simple, short and beautifully effective, efficient photo session of like, I don't know, I was, he was clicking for like maybe 25 minutes, not long at all. And he got like the perfect shot. Um, and then uh, there were more people. Uh, now there are five dancers on the stamp. Besides myself, it's uh, Ayadeli Cassell, Michaela Marino Lerman, uh, Dormisha Sumbri Edwards, and uh, Derek Grant are the others pictured on the stamp. There were some more tap dancers who were photographed. How I ended up there, I really don't know. <laughs> it was just luck. Um, but I'm certainly very happy about that. That's, that's an honor that I will never forget. You know, that that's, doesn't happen every day. Well, uh, what an honor, and congratulations thank on you, that. Thank you, thank you. Very, very worthy honor, I feel. Thank you. Um, so what is forthcoming for you in this year? What can we look forward to seeing you around this year? Well, um, we're going to do a performance with the uh, Parkinson's dancers yep. um, in June. I'm also working with the Philomen D'Agostino Greenberg Music School for the Blind, FMDG Music School for the Blind, which is the only music school dedicated to blind musicians in New York City. Uh, we're doing a concert on May 19th at the Metropolitan Museum. Um, they do this annually. Uh, it's a great, beautiful uh, uh, concert that is usually themed around a piece of art at the Metropolitan Museum. And there is also music composed specifically for this. In this case, not by me, but somebody else. Uh, but I'm creating some choreography and some rhythm for for the uh, students for that. And um, uh, I got this grant from the New York State Council on the Arts uh, for my compositions and choreography to create throughout the year 2023, to create interactive um, performances throughout the New York City greater area uh, in, in um, uh, communities that don't really have much access to cultural events. So I'll be going into the boroughs and I'll be going into senior centers and hospitals and cultural centers and uh, playgrounds, play, you know, in places that don't usually get that much opportunity to see art live. And we'll do some workshops also and question and answer sessions and uh, these kinds of things to interact with the community and bring some of the art to them and have also have discussions and, and conversations about it. Wow. That's fantastic. Well, hopefully we get one of them in Inwood here. Absolutely. Yes. That's the plan. <laughs> that's the plan. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, well that's fantastic. Uh, where can we um, send people to find out more about loose places coming Yeah. Up? So uh, my Instagram page is uh, max one poll. That's M A X the number one. And P O L L, Max One Pole, on Instagram. Uh, you can go to my YouTube channel that is Rumba Tap. 
was YouTube. Just search Rumba Tap. No H, please. It's the Spanish spelling, R-U-M-B-A-T-A-P. Uh, and my website is M-X-P-L-L-K because Max Pollock was already taken. So it's Mxplk. <laughs> well, we'll get that in our description, put that in the description of this episode so people know where to find you and uh, and all the great work you do. Thank you. Thank you so much, Max. Absolutely. Thanks for having guest. me. My pleasure. My pleasure. Again, these are the talented people that live here in our community and we're thrilled to have them. Um, so... This is an Artist Spotlight episode of In What Artworks On Air. It's where you meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, tappers, and artists of all stripes who live here in Upper Manhattan. If you have a moment right now, please, please, please show us some love right now by rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. Many thanks to the Church of Good Shepherd here in Inwood for hosting us and the Heightsites.com for uptown promotional support. You can support On Air and all of our programming by making a tax-free donation at inwoodartworks.nyc backslash donate or via Venmo at inwoodartworks. Be sure to follow us on social media to keep up all that we do, which includes the Inwood Film Festival, Filmworks Al Fresco, Pop-Up Art Galleries, live performances, and so much more. Inwood Artworks On Air is proud to be supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in the partnership with City Council. And Inwood Artworks is also proud for our programming made possible by the New York State Council on the Arts with support of the Office of the Governor and the New York State Legislature. From the top of Manhattan and the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for tuning in. This is Aaron Sims for Inwood Artworks On Air. <laughs>